Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. But yes, we are in Genesis, and, uh, and yes, what a crazy week it was. What a crazy year it's been. Do you, do you know that this year we had a mice plague? That was this year. <laughs> Feels like five years ago. It was actually this year. And then we had a pandemic, well, ongoing, and then, you know, a flood. I'm just going to call it, I reckon, flies or frogs are next. I'm not sure which, but uh, it's coming. And, uh, but maybe it is just because we're in the Old Testament at the moment and we're looking at Genesis. And, uh, and because, like um, Andrew said, we, we've been doing it op- since October and we're not going through it super, we're just hitting the major themes because otherwise we'd be preaching hour and a half long sermons or preaching until 2023. Some of you would appreciate that, but the people that you invite wouldn't. So, um, <laughs> so what we've covered so far is the origin story of this wonderful universe that we get, li- get to live in. We've covered the origin story of humanity. Um, we've car- covered the origin story of choice, uh, which as my friend likes to put it, the sacredness and the power of choice. We got given that. And um, the origin story then, subsequently of sin, which is simply just us going our own way instead of God's. And then the origin story of the people of God. You might not know, but um, both Jews and Muslims point to Abraham as the father of their faith. And, uh, and so we personally as Christians, we need to remember that yes, Abraham is the, the, the father of faith, but our story didn't even get its start then or even in Genesis 3 when there was the fall. That's not humanity's origin story. In fact, humanity's origin story you could technically say isn't Genesis 1 even, because Romans tells us that long before the foundations of the earth were laid, that God had you in mind and had settled on you as the focus of his love. So even before creation, God had thought up humanity and wanted us to love us. You might think that's crazy knowing you, but, uh, but that is the case. So we had this theme of God creating and bringing life and order from chaos, the watery chaos, uh, and then the chaos of the world, and then him bringing order to that, and fresh starts and and new starts constantly, and the chaos in our own hearts. That's good news for us because we've got chaos. Who's got chaos in their heart at times? Yep. And so that's good news for us because we get a fresh start, and that's God's pattern. So this week, I think we're going through one of the trickiest passages in Genesis, This week, we're looking at hospitality and homosexuality. Now, if you're a visitor this morning, you are going, holy heck. And if you brought a visitor this morning, you're going, oh, Bron, why? Um, So we'd better pray. Lord, we just bring this morning to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd just settle our hearts. Lord, I pray that the prevailing thought today would be that of Romans 16, verse 7, that long before you laid the foundations of the world, that you had us in mind and had settled on us as the focus of your love. Lord, we look at you and say, we do not deserve it, but you see us in all our frailty, in all our flaws, and you say that you love us. And so we thank you. We're so grateful this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the passage that we're going to go through this morning is fraught with so much tension. Uh, for people in the room. So I just want to acknowledge that. I want want to acknowledge that there's maybe three main opinions in the room this morning, and uh, I'm just going to try to offend you all with them. And uh, maybe you'll go, well, no, neither, none of those describe me, or maybe you'll say, yeah, I'm between one and two, or between two and three. Um, But firstly, some of you might think, yes, it's about time we got to this passage. 
Um, but I just firstly want to acknowledge Phoebe Moore last week, and I just want to acknowledge the gift on that woman's life. Uh, she took us right up to this point with the theophany, with uh, God appearing to Abraham and Sarah. Well, Sarah was listening inside the tent. And, uh, and you know, these three men could well have been um, the triune God, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Uh, or it could have been Yahweh at the very least and two angelic beings. But we got right up to here. And, um, and so there are those that are so just intensely disgusted with Sodom and Gomorrah and see the destruction of their cities as the wrath of God poured out as judgment for what you consider a heinous sin. You're like, yes, they got what was coming to them. Then there are those, so that's one group of people. Then there are those that whether because of loved family members or dear friends or even your own feelings, there's a temptation to look at this and go, this just looks to me like homophobic genocide. And, and you might be with one scholar who writes that this is culture preferring homosexuality not to be, full stop. Or there might be those of you, and, and, and you might have seen people on the picket lines and you've seen people using platforms and language to, to point to this passage as God backs us in what we think. But then there are those of you who've never heard this story and you thought Gomorrah was the green woman from Guardians of the Galaxy and, and you've gone off into now... If there's a time stone, could she somehow come back into the mix? And, and, and you're in Avengers land, and, um, but that's, that's Gomorrah. The she, that's not the Gomorrah that we're talking about. Um, so, but for that last group of people, let me fill you in. Two of the divine visitors that Abraham had been sitting down to, like they'd been having a nice Middle Eastern lunch of a bit of meat and some yogurt. Um, they've left and headed out towards Sodom. And one visitor, Yahweh, the Lord stays and says, I can't hide my plan from Abraham. He's my guy. So the Lord tells him about the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and that they are, they're unapologetically just rife with vice and how he's going to destroy it. And after a conversation between Abraham and Yahweh, we go to chapter 19, where the two visitors have gone to stay with Lot. Now, this is pretty horrific stuff, and it's in the Bible, and we probably wouldn't get to it if we were just preaching topically. This would probably never come up. But because we're going through a book, we get to it. And so here they are. They're at the city, and Lot was there at the city entrance. Now, at that time, if you sat at the city gates, you were probably a leader in that place. So Lot, who was with Abraham, who was a man of God, has gotten so inculcated, who, who's, the place that he lives has influenced him so much that now he's probably part of the leadership of this city. But he still recognises divinity when he sees it. So he invites them into his home and they say, no, no, we're just going to stay in the city square tonight. And Lot, probably knowing the city that he lives in, is like, no, 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 you better come with me. Come and stay at my house. And so they go and eat some food. And once you eat food in ancient custom at someone's house, you're now under their protection. So these people, these visitors are under Lot's protection. And then something truly abhorrent transpires. The Bible says that all the men of Sodom, young and old, from all ages, come and surround the house and say, bring out your visitors because we want to know them. That's for the kids in the room. You guys all know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I know, Bells. It's intense. And, uh, and, and so Lot, then, then something even more confounding happens is that Lot says, hey, I've got two girls, my daughters, they're virgins. Why don't I bring them out instead? 
Now, as a woman, as a daughter, as a person who has daughters, I'm like, let's string Lot up. Like, let's get rid of him right now. But, but in fact, there's two different scholarly thoughts. One is that, in fact, his daughters were married because the Hebrew says that they were married to his sons-in-law. And he's just stalling for time. He's just lying. He's trying to figure out what the heck to do here. This is a, a crazy situation. The other line of thought is they've changed it to these men were their fiancés in light of that statement. They're like, Lot wouldn't lie. So clearly they weren't married yet. I'm not sure which it is. But in either way, Lot's just going, you can't can't do that to my visitors. And then they turn, the crowd, the mob turns on Lot and they say, we're going to do even worse to you than what we were going to do to them. And so the visitors, they pull back, Lot back in, they bolt the door and they blind the mob. And eventually the mob go home because they can't find them. And the, the, the visitors say, you've got to get out of here right now. And Lot tells his sons-in-law, they think he's joking, so they stay. And eventually the um, angelic beings or, or the theophany, whatever it is, grab Lot, his wife and his daughters, and they get out. Now, I've heard lots of reactions to this passage from people thinking that it's just clear condemnation um, or others who think it's, this is so totally confusing to the God that they know and love. And so let's make some observations. Starting from when Abraham hears of the plan. When God tells Abraham, and remember, Abraham knows about this place called Sodom. So we had to brush over it a few weeks ago, but there was this awesome moment where, it's not really awesome, it just would make a great movie. But um, so Lot gets kidnapped. There's this, um, let me see if I can remember his name, King Kedalomalan. Yeah. That's how you say it. And uh, so this king who went up, it was five kings against four kings. They had a battle in the Valley of the Dead Sea. Um, they um, overcome and Sodom and Gomorrah get plundered and everything taken off, slaves, goods, everything. Abraham has 318 men, goes after them, recovers all the goods. Like seriously, great movie, right? Who would watch that? I would watch that. And then they, um, so it goes in, and then um, grabs the people, takes them back to the king of Sodom. And king of Sodom says, I'll have all the people back to our city, but you can keep all the goods. And Abraham says, I don't want your goods. I don't want anyone to say anyone but God prospered me. It's not going to be the king of Sodom. So Abraham knows these people. He's worked with them. He's restored the city. He knows what they're like. And God tells Abraham about what he plans to do. And Abraham does not say, good one, God. Good move. They are atrocious. He says, God, please don't. If there are 50 good people in Sodom, can you spare the whole city? And God's like, yeah, sure, I can do that. And then Abraham's like, huh, I know Sodom. Actually, God, if there's 45 good people, will you spare the city? Like, I'm sorry to be talking like this, God, but like for the sake of five people? And God's like, no, no, I I can do that. And Abraham's like, how about 40? And God doesn't go, 42. God's like, no, no, sure. And Abraham's like, 25? And God says, sure. And and then he says, what about 10, God? And and God says, Abraham, if there are 10 good people, I'll spare the city. But as we see, there aren't 10 good people there. What's the purpose of this interaction between God and Abraham? Let's not forget that all of this is written down so that we might learn the nature and the character of God. It's the fact that God will talk to people and let us in on his plans. You see, God knew what Abraham would say. It wasn't like God went back to his other two mates and went, 
gee, I was having a bad day. I'm glad Abraham talked some sense into me. It was rough. He was like, no, 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 no. I know what Abraham's going to say. I know that he will intercede on behalf of the city of Sodom. So I'm going to open up this conversation so that not only Abraham can see my character, but generations to come can see my character as well. And so with this, this is amazing because Abraham's first um, reaction is intercession for those people. Church, can I say that as it relates to sinful people, even though we are ourselves, that has not been the prevailing message that the church has given to the world. That as it relates to sinful people, we love them and we want to see their best and we want to see them delivered. That has not been the overarching message that people have heard from the church. And, and I believe here at the chapel, I don't know a single person who's like that. But, but as we look at different picket lines and different things, we can see that the church has not always been represented that well. John 15, 15, Jesus says to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants because a servant has no knowledge of what the master is doing. Instead, I call you my friends. So if we're the friends of God, I sure do hope that our reaction is the same as Abraham's. And in tears, we intercede on behalf of the people who don't know the goodness of God, who don't understand the goodness of God. Uh, This is what McLaren writes. He writes, Indifference to the miseries and impending danger of Christless man is impossible for any whom he calls not servants, but friends. So essentially he's saying, if we call ourselves gods, if we say we're following Jesus, then we can never be indifferent to people who, who maybe are headed into a bad way. We should never, we, we can't be indifferent to that. And, and Jesus modeled this for us. He's up on the mountain in Jerusalem and he starts crying for his people. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would that you would allow me to gather you under my protection, under my wings of healing. I wanted to protect you, I wanted to love you, but you were not willing. And then when he's on, the, Dave and Bren sang it and Belzy sang it, um, his body bound and drenched in tears. He was on the cross fulfilling his part of the covenant that we've been talking about, ripped apart and crying and looking out at humanity and saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So to look at a passage like this and say, well, it's God's wrath poured out. There's an overarching message that way trumps what we see here. Next observation Ezekiel chapter 16 tells us Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. Sounds like Tamworth. Sorry. (laughs) Sounds like me, is what I should say. Pride, gluttony, laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. This sounds like Western countries. Unfortunately, this sounds like some forms of Western Christianity. Then it says she was proud. This is Sodom. And she committed detestable sins. This is the prophet talking to Israel. And and he gets to the detestable sins last, but he puts everything that led to there first. And these are the things that I don't think we can say that we're completely free of. Pride, gluttony, laziness, indifferent to the poor and proud. And so as it relates to as it relates to what God thinks, let's look at 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I hope that we can be patient too. I hope that we can get better at talking about things. 
that the world is so interested in. I hope that we don't talk in a way that the next generation condemns us to irrelevance. I hope that we can talk about things in love. I hope that we can talk about things in caring for people and loving them and wanting to draw them to Jesus. Let's get better at it, church. Let's not either be so worried about it that we shy away from it altogether, but let's have conversations with people that we love and tell them that what we see in the Bible, what we see in Scripture. But let me tell you, if anyone has same-sex attraction, this passage is completely irrelevant to them. If you were to have someone sit down with you and go, hey, um, I actually really love God, but I feel like the church is going to judge me. When you say, oh, well, in Genesis 19, there's this story of a um, gay orgy rape. They're like, I don't want to rape anybody. What are you talking about? That would be ridiculous. It's completely irrelevant to someone who is struggling with same-sex attraction or feels same-sex attracted. So can can we just call that what it is? And don't ever use that again when you talk to someone like that. Okay. Um, okay, well, it just gets worse from there. Um, so we'll just finish that chapter off by quickly saying that what happens is, is that, like, firstly, where it starts is amazing. Abraham having this conversation with God and God letting him in on all the plans. Then we have this massive um, event that's awful. And then Lot gets rescued with his family. And the, the um, person that's helping them says, head up into the mountains. And he says, I can't go to the mountains. I feel like that'd be really bad for me. Uh, can not the God who rescued him from that, that coming judgment not keep him in the mountains? But Lot decides to settle down in this little town again. He didn't learn from his first time of settling in Sodom. He goes and settles in a town and actually the people there hate him. So he ends up in the mountains. Now his wife's gone, different story again, but I don't have time to go into it. And I'm just going to touch on the last horrible thing that happens in this chapter. And that is that he's in the cave. And, and, and as Phoebe said last week, for a woman, the only value that they had was bearing children. And so if you couldn't bear children, you had no line, you had no one to look after you. There was no welfare system or anything like that. So the girls, Lot's daughters, have a conference. And they say, well, you know what, let's get dad drunk. Let's get heirs. Let's get someone to look after us. And they sleep with their father. Firstly, gross. Secondly, um, what happens then is that they have two tribes out of those two people. One is the Ammonite tribe and one is the Moabite tribe. And if you know Old Testament at all, you'll know that the Ammonites and the Moabites were completely against the people of Israel. So Phoebe talked last week about taking matters into your own hands and Ishmael coming out of that and how that's created struggle in the Middle East ever since. Well, when Lot's daughters take matters into their own hands, they um, end up with these two tribes. They're at enmity with the people of God ever since. Well, actually, they died out. Um, So there's no Ammonites or Moabites in the Olympics if you've watched the nations go through. Um, but, but they were for a very long time were against them. So I just want to say in, at, to that end that when God delivers us, and, and I know so many of you have miracle stories about God coming through for you, we then feel like we need to help him out. And if these stories are anything to negatively inspire us, we see that when you take matters into your own hands, the consequences are often a thing that are so much harder than we could have imagined, so much harder than the problem that we're trying to help God out with in the first place. 
So if he's the God of all creation, if he's the God who holds us in his hand, he's the God who can keep you even in the midst of your current circumstance. Um, I'm going to finish, as Phoebe did, with a quote from Jonathan Sachs, who's a rabbi. This is, seems completely uh, off ball to what we are just talking about, but anyway. Um, it is easy to receive the divine presence when God appears as God. What is difficult is to sense the divine presence when it comes as three anonymous passers-by seeing God and offering hospitality to strangers were not two things, but one. This is echoed by Jesus in the New Testament when he says that if you offer a cup of water in my name, then you're offering a cup of water to me. Hospitality is so vitally important and we don't want to be those that have the poor and needy outside our door and don't pay any attention to them. We want to be those who offer hospitality and love to whoever we come across and ensure that in the same way we are offering a cup of water to God himself. That's how he takes it. Now, just so you know, chapel service, what we do now is have a reflection time and, and maybe for you today, you just need to take this few minutes to sit in stunned silence. That's okay. Um, maybe you want to go, I thought the Bible, I did not realise it was like that. But let's not forget this is also a history of humanity, not just uh, um, the Word of God, although it definitely is that. So this is how it works. We chat. You can chat about the weather. You can tell your favourite flood story from the week. But we love to chat around what is actually uh, what was in the passage, something that occurred to you, something that you'll take away, a question that you have, or maybe this morning all the questions that you have. And um, and then, but if you don't want to talk at all, you just grab your phone, you scroll, and people assume that you're reading your Bible. So, my job today is to help us. How do we go live forward? So I didn't know what Brian was preaching about until about Friday. So I prepared my message. But I wish I did, because I would have talked um, about how people that were, weren't like Jesus, like Jesus. And uh, I wish I'd done that now, because that's the bottom line. People all, what's that? Wing my message. They, um, people that were, if anyone knows, I do not wing messages. <laughs> Gave that up when I was about 21. And... Uh, Literally woke up on the preaching day at about 23 years old and realised that I was on that day and hadn't prepped. And uh, in those days we had paper concordances, do you remember? And I wrote down every love scripture and I stood up and preached what was the worst sermon in the history of the world. But, um, but I would say this as we, as we get to it, and that is that people who weren't like People who weren't like Jesus, like Jesus. And that says a lot to the way any Christian, if you are one, ought to live. Is there should be something about your life, even if people don't necessarily agree, and my life, that they like Jesus. And if Jesus is unlikable based on the way I live, there's something for me to change. And so I would, I would say, you know what? You and I have an incredible opportunity, if you're a follower of him, to step out into our week and just love people, love them really well, be full of grace, full of kindness, what's their need, and get on with our life. Well, um, I should have read the brief, not the first time I haven't, and uh, I, actually what I wanted to do was talk about a specific subject, and it's found just before where Bron picked up in Genesis chapter 16, which Phoebe covered, but I, I want to go actually to the detail of the subject, just for a, a, a few minutes. Genesis 
um, chapter 16 from verse 1. Sarah and Abraham, I'm just going to use their later changed names, okay? Genesis chapter 16. Sarah, and, uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, hadn't yet produced a child. She had an Egyptian maid named Hagar. Sarah said to Abraham, God has not seen fit to let me have a child. Sleep with my maid. Maybe I can finally get a family from her. Abraham agreed to do what Sarah said. Bad move. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, took her Egyptian maid and gave her to her husband. So as a different age, this kind of thing happened. Well, it still happens. I'm just not sure that it happens by consent. Abraham had been living 10 years in Canaan when this took place. He slept with Hagar. She got pregnant. Hagar learned she was pregnant. She took... She looked down on um, her mistress. She looked down on Sarah. And, she t uh, and then Sarah said to Abraham, it's all your fault that I'm suffering this abuse. I put my maid in bed with you and the minute she knows she's pregnant, she treats me like I'm nothing. May God decide which of us is right. And then Abraham says, you decide. Your maid is your business. Sarah was abusive to Hagar and Hagar ran away and what a mess. It sounds like some people's family Christmas. It's just chaos, right? And, 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 and there's some cultural nuances there and we're not going to go into the cultural nuances. It would be good if I had a clock. I can't see my time. Oh, there it is on the other one. And, um, uh, and it's a mess. And there's all this fallout from this activity and, and there's a whole lot of things going on. And, and so I want to talk about how to live um, unoffendable because what we see here is Sarah blames Abraham and Sarah blames Hagar, and Abraham kind of doesn't blame Sarah, but puts it back on Sarah. And Hagar, she's got the right to be upset with everybody. She's got the right to be upset with Abraham, who abandons her, Sarah, who treats her poorly, and God, what have you done to me? And so there's a room for offence everywhere you look here. But what we know about offence is nobody ever wins. In fact, in my life, I cannot remember one person, one time, not ever, who decided to live offended and who was better for it. Not one time. wonder if you can think of a time when you went, yes. I remember living offended in that moment, and boy, it was good. I felt so much better, and everyone else around me was so glad they were, right? And so we're about to come into Christmas. December 1 will tick over next week. My favourite month of the year. The tree's already up. Against my better judgement, it went up in November. And, uh, but it is beautiful. I still go out and click the lights on every night. And I love December. But I realise that relationally, sometimes December's complicated for people. And, and, and here's the thing. As you move into a season, maybe where there's going to be, you know, uh, relational tensions and that is family gather and all of that. But also as we move towards the end of the year, like somebody's upset you this year, right? Somebody's upset me this year. James upset me a bunch of times this year. Like, there's a whole bunch of people that probably... And so what I'd like us to do is try and finish the year with a clean slate and set up for the year to come and to have Christmas in a great way, maybe like we've never had it before. So how to live unoffendable, especially when the world's lost its mind. Like, it's almost a badge of honour to be offended at the moment. Like, can you imagine if Bron had given that talk, which was highly unoffensive, right? I can imagine, Bron could have given that talk, somehow she navigated the tension of all the various thought, and there are people who could walk out of here today and go, I'm just so offended that Bron didn't condemn, you know, blah, 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 and there's other people who go, how dare Bron even suggest 
that anybody might go to a lost eternity and, and all of that. And if we take it, it's almost like a badge of honor in the culture that we live to have something to take offense to, isn't it? You know, if I think differently to you or you think differently to me. So how to live unoffendable when the world's lost its mind. Listen to this. This is how disempowering offense is. And then we're going to look at how powerful um, unoffense, unoffended is. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. It's Jesus. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They said. What, what this, uh, sorry, what's this wisdom that he's been given? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Like, it actually <coughs> says they are in awe. They're like, whoa, what, Jesus, this is incredible. And I, I get Jesus because I feel like this with you, right? He's in his hometown and he's doing awesome stuff just like I am every day amongst you. And then this, listen to this. So he's doing miracles. They've never heard a teacher like him before. And some of them have already got it that this is a guy that the Bible's predicted for thousands of years. They're already in the frame. The whispers are sturdiculating. But here's their response to all of that good. Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Listen to this next line. And they took offense at him. What? Took offense at what? And they took offense at him, even though he was only doing good, even though he was blowing their mind with teaching, even though he was doing miracles all around them, they took offense at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his home. It's a whole lot harder to live not offending people when we've got proximity. Even God in the flesh found it hard to live amongst the people that he'd lived upon earth amongst and not have them get offended at him even when he did good, spoke good and worked miracles. What chance have you and I got of there not being offense? Just everyone take a breath. Everyone take a breath. It's okay. But the reality is because they took offense at him, their lives were diminished. They didn't see him for who he was. They missed out on what he was doing. Their lives were contracted. He actually talks about how it would be for them because they were offended at Jesus. And so as we come to this, here's how to live unoffendable. Listen to this. Here's, I'm just going to give you two thoughts in the few minutes that I have. Acts 24, verses 15 to 16. Paul's speaking with him. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead. He's talking about the Pharisees both of the just and the unjust. Big statement. I have hope there's going to be a resurrection of the dead when this life is gone, all life will rise. And he says, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offence towards God and men or God and people. Um, I have this hope. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. In my version, it says, without offense. And I thought, what a great place to start, that I'm just going to make my determination that as it relates to living before God and living amongst people, that I'm going to live taking no offense, unoffendable. Because the reality is that as long as humanity breathes breath, and as long as you and I are in the mix, there's going to be offense made and cause for offense. You and I 
know what it is, right? And, and, and so there are the big ones like what we had going on with Abraham and Sager and, uh, Hager and Sarah where, you know, abuse and, and betrayal and all of those things. But then there are the small ones. Like you didn't invite me to dinner when you invited Andrew and Phoebe. You know what I'm saying, right? Have you not been upset when you missed out? There are other times when I've got to tell you life's so full, I'm like, thank God you didn't think of me. Well, at least that's how I'm thinking of it. Maybe you did think of me and just went, no, but no offense, no offense taken. But so number one, just sign off on a zero tolerance policy. I'm just not going to let a, live offended because offense is coming your way and mine. It is. It's going to happen because we're human, not because we're fundamentally bad and evil, um, but because we're human and we're flawed and and we just make mistakes. And sometimes it's not even that. It's just life. And sometimes it's not even that. It's just that we can't get everyone in the mix. It just is life. And, and so I'm just going to sign off that I'm going to live with a zero tolerance policy as it relates to being offended. I'm going to strive to live with a clear conscience without offense towards God and people. Isn't that a great way to live as you move towards Christmas. I hope you eat ham. If you've never eaten Bronnie's Christmas ham, you should ask her for it. Like, it is good. Christmas is good. But there's lots going on. But let's determine as we move towards it and the end of the year, I will strive to live with a clear conscience before God and amongst people. I'm going to live unoffendable. The ashes are coming. And Alex, it's in Australia, and my much-loved Englishman is going to be cheering for the opposition. Well, I want him to know in advance, no matter what happens, and we will win, no matter what happens, I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to take offence to the Barmy Army and to Alex and to other English people in the room today. We'll love you. Zero tolerance. Zero tolerance lets things go. Proverbs 17.9 says, Overlook an offence and bond a friendship. Fasten onto a slight and goodbye friend. <laughs> Proverbs 19.11, a, a, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offence. Why is that? Because we're all going to have risk to be offended at some point. So just letting things go. We'll be glad we did. Letting things go before they start to change us because they do. Want to be like Jesus? Well, it would be a good place to start would be for us to go. You know what? I'm just going to live unoffendable. I'm going to not do what's been done to me. I'm just not going to, I'm going to never mention it again and I'm going to love people as best I can. Proverbs 17.9. Whoever would love, uh, foster love, covers over an offence, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Um, uh, think about this. Uh, I didn't use the picture because I'll, uh, I'll use it in the 10 a.m. in the series. I'm going to do this as a series. And, and, uh, but I've got this little picture of this dog. It's in a blue jumper. And uh, anyway, my little blue dog called Mighty Warrior, it's a gorgeous little dog, and I dressed him in his little blue jumper back in when it was cooler, and someone suggested on Facebook that the jumper was turquoise. Well, I was deeply offended by that. I'm like, the jumper's not turquoise, the, the jumper's actually blue. And so the person was trying to correct me, and I wasn't happy about it, so I didn't do much, but I did post on Facebook and just said, look, I'm unhappy about the turquoise comment by my friend and then someone else commented that I should forgive and so I got offended about that and and but you know what I didn't want to make a big deal of it so I didn't put it on Facebook I just texted some of my friends and said Dave Norton's really upset me he reckons it's turquoise I know it's blue but you know what I don't want to make this bigger than I need to so let's keep it between us a few of them got 
justifiably upset as well. They were like, they were with me. They were offended for me because that's the world we now live in. We actually get offended for each other. Though we're not really offended at all. We just want to side with someone in the middle of their nonsense. Well, let's not be those people. I don't have a little dog called Mighty Warrior and I certainly wouldn't put it in a jumper, though you might. If I did, I would put it in a turquoise jumper and not a blue one, just to be clear. Zero tolerance. Zero tolerance does this. It remembers me. There's this, like, to me, this moment in my life that I'll never forget. Running past Peel High School late at night. And uh, it was dark and I was going for a jog and, and I was dealing with something in my heart and I stopped and I was just standing there and I was thinking in the middle of my run. And uh, I had this thought into my head, like, you know, I thought probably it was God. Darren, just pick up the little stone there. And so I picked up the little stone on the ground and I was holding it in this weird moment. And then this thought entered my head, said, can you throw it? And many of you will remember the story of Jesus when he's got an adulterous, uh, a woman's committed adultery with a man, which means he actually committed adultery too, but he's not there, it's another story. And, uh, and they, they want to stone her to death because that was the Jewish custom. And Jesus says, yeah, no worries. If you're without sin, you throw the first stone. And, you know, the story says now from one, one by one, they just dropped their stone and, and left the place. And I remember that night I had the stone in my hand and the thought came to my mind, can you throw it, Darren? And I went, no, I cannot. It's a liberating thought because I just needed to remember me and who I am and what I'm like. And offence was able to be let go. And it's so powerful to let go of offences, liberating in our, in our lives. So just zero tolerance. Remember me, let it go, how to live unoffendable. And I've got two minutes, so let me close with this scripture. The number two thought was simply this. Number one is sign off on a zero tolerance policy. Number two was this. Soft heart, thick skin, can't lose. Soft heart, thick skin can't lose. Ephesians 4 verse 2 and 3. Always be humble and gentle. Always just keep a soft heart. Always be humble and gentle. Listen to its context. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I love that the Bible puts that in here. Make allowance for each other. And then it adds this word, each other's faults because of love. Yeah, isn't that true? Uh, you know my faults. Some of you know my faults better than me. I'm amazed at my faults sometimes. I'm completely unaware of some of them, very aware of some, very unaware of others. And uh, we're just not always aware, but we've all got them. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other. Be thick-skinned. You know, thick-skinned, if you look it up, it actually literally means to, make, uh, to, to, to live without taking offence. If you go look it up, it's in its, its definition. And so let's be soft-hearted, let's be thick-skinned because then we can't lose. And imagine coming to this Christmas, imagine heading towards the new year. Soft heart, thick-skinned, not hard heart, thick-skinned, can't lose. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for, every, uh, for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit Binding yourselves together with peace. That is a drop the mic scripture. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. It's coming. Thanks, mate.
Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.